Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. Hey, Karen. Good to have you back. Thank you. It's good I've, got that, I've got that Friday voice again. You do? Yeah, up with property developers last night. Fantastic group of people, but whew. Out again, Andrew. It's a tough life. <laughs> well, you know, I'm nearly turning 42. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just go out to less, often. Less than a couple of days, I'll be 40. Yeah, <laughs> I know, counting down. No, it's, it's great. But no, it's great. I've, I've had a couple of weeks away in terms of just doing different things. So sorry, people, but it is good to be back and it's yeah. good to have you back. And it's lo- isn't it lovely to be back? After and last, Sophie's w- back? last week, yeah. <laughs> when we weren't back for a short period of time, we're back now. We've worked out what the problem was, so there should be no problem at all today. But really sorry about last week. Don't forget, things do go wrong. We're still on the website. Yes. We get loaded up straight away. So look, welcome back, everyone, to Vicky, who let me know last time. Hi, Vicky. Thank you again. Well, we've got an interesting day today. Later on, I'm going to speak about the federal election because you can't hide from it. Mm-hmm. But I think as a precursor to that, we should say not much is happening. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty nicely. We've, we've both searched the internet for anything as part of a, uh, a way of making sure they don't get into trouble around industrial relations. And we'll drill down a bit more as to what appears, and this is you and I patching, you know, doing our own little bit of blanket making in the background yeah. to try and work out what it is. Yeah. But I think what's most disappointing about the whole process around industrial relations and actually workplace law is the unwillingness of politicians to lead on it. Like, it's a nonsense, isn't it? We know we're the last country in the world that has this type of award structure. Yeah. We know that nobody can understand it. Yeah. Now, we've known that for 50 years, but mm. we're now starting to get to the pointy end where people are really mucking it up and where people are actually cheating because it's so complex. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you tinker with a car when it's not working so well, all you get is a worse-run car. Yeah. Sometimes you need to buy a new one. Yeah. And what I would have hoped around this election where there needs to be a point of differentiation, I can't see what it is at the moment, mm. is someone would have gone, that's broken. Yeah. Let's have a national set of minimum terms broader than the NES. Let's scrap the award system completely. Mm-hmm. Let's have clarity about what are the terms you must have in and let's be serious about punishing people who don't. Yeah. And that's exactly my, my personal view. I should probably say that as well. Let's make it easier for businesses and for people to work together and rather than make it more complex because I think everything that's been covered off, even um, in terms of bills that have been previously proposed, we're talking about they're distracting. You know, it doesn't yeah. go to the heart of the issue in terms of what we really need. You need trust between the employer and employee and when both people don't understand what is the law, mm-hmm. and let's face it, in a lot of SMEs, nobody knows what the truth is. And it's third parties, industry organisations, unions are coming in saying this is yep. what the... So you end up with this argumentative culture as to what is a compact of trust. That's just IR. We haven't talked about safety. We haven't yeah. talked about workers' comp. <laughs> no, no. We'll and, talk about and, that later on. But part, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's just crazy that it's, we're doing it. For me, like you look at it as a business owner or running a large organisation, it's frightening and understandably. And, you know, then you have a whole other debate which says... It is absolutely clear now, even with the borders open, we, we don't have enough skilled workers, we don't have enough university-educated workers in key fields, we don't have enough operational leaders, and we don't have enough labour. Now, I think that raises the argument about migration. <laughs> and what are both people saying about migration? We don't allow migration. And you go, yeah, well, how do we grow as an economy? We're in a mi- migration-built country yes. which has fed 
growth through migration. And now both parties, because it's too frightening to say the word migration, are going, yes. do, 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 migration. <laughs> I mean, give me a We'll talk more about that. Right. Anyway, we'll get to it anyway. Yes. So, look, they're the challenges that exist. We'll try and be less political oh, later on. Talk about some facts. Let's jump into the first case, yep. which is Larry and the Secretary Department of Community and Justice. We really got this case because it is not new. It's the same thing that drives me crazy with the workers' compensation side of the jurisdiction. Larry was a person who disobeyed a direction given through a magistrate's court about how they deal with people who had potential COVID and the COVID rules. So clear dis- disobeying of a lawful and reasonable direction. They gave them a letter. Now, look, the, the emails and stuff that were given were actually not the greatest process in the world. Mm-hmm. But the key thing is an hour before the meeting that had been arranged the day before, they sent an email which set out in general terms the allegation, not particularising it. The guy, woman, guy, I can't remember now, said afterwards in the tribunal, you know, I was in shock and horror that these allegations were put to me. Mm. Give me a break. And lo and behold, compensable. Now, all of those things complied with workplace law. Mm-hmm. They were told of a meeting. They were given a day's notice of a meeting. Yep. They weren't prevented from bringing someone along. Mm-hmm. They were given, which isn't required as a matter of law, a letter setting out roughly what the allegations were. Not required. And work person said, "I'm so distressed. I can't answer. I need more time." And they didn't allow it. Yeah. But given the nature of the allegations were purely factual, mm-hmm. you would still get away with saying, "No, we want your response now." Mm-hmm. In workplace law, and then they proceeded to take disciplinary action afterwards. Actually, not great that it would pass sniff test in any fair work commission and it was a clear disobedience with the lawful and reasonable direction. What happens? Although the law in workers' compensation should say that was reasonable management action, mm-hmm. this tribunal found it wasn't because there wasn't sufficient particularity given in the nature of the grievance against them and it was given too close to the meeting. Yeah, just... And it's just crap. Yeah. It is just, you read it and you go, why workers' compensation just make stuff up? Yeah. How could we get to a stage where the workers' compensation jurisdiction is such nonsense? Yeah. When the law of what is reasonable management action is so clear as a matter of law in bullying jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and yet for reasons which nobody can understand, anything that you could possibly do slightly wrong will be a basis for compensating somebody in the workers' comp. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think what it tells us is this. So we've got to, we need to take a lesson out of this, which yeah. is just not my anger. The lesson is this. If you know you're going to terminate someone, and let's face it, and just go the extra yard. Yep. Send out the letter of allegations a day before with sufficient particularity. Yeah. Give the person extra time to respond if they say they can't. Yes, they may put in a workers' comp claim. They still they might put, put it in. Workers, but <laughs> you've got a defensible process exactly. all the way through. Yeah. So don't just comply with... The, the law, yeah. <laughs> no, the law. Don't just comply with the law. If you know there's a risk and you've got a person who's likely to bring a claim and you're going to terminate them or you're going to discipline them, please just take the extra yard and yep. then this problem wouldn't arise. Which is in line with what we've always said, Andrew, in terms of being exercising that generosity of spirit, yep. right? So I think that also helps mitigate that risk. I agree. Yeah. All right, let's jump to the next case. We don't have the best cases today, but Mitchell and Kind of Capers is the type of case that you do want to use a fork to take your eye out to because this is a public, <laughs> this is a person who refused to get vaccinated, yep. couldn't find a doctor to find a medical exemption, was suspended and eventually terminated. Mm-hmm. And they argued it wasn't in their contract that they could be terminated. Essentially, that's the argument. Yep. I think after the Fair Work Commission got off the ground rolling around laughing, they got back up and said, 
Uh, you well, sure that was them or was it you? <laughs> <laughs> they said, oh, a public health order is actually law. LAW law. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be in your contract yeah. and you do have to comply with it and the process they did was fair and generous and goodbye. Yep. Nothing surprising about the case except what it really shows is if we look at the CFMEU and BHP cases that came about where it wasn't a public order mm-hmm. but where you said this is a policy, if you do that correctly, you're going to have the same benefit given to you by the Fair Work Commission that says it's lawful and reasonable direction. The person has not complied with the lawful and reasonable direction and read the case, understand mm-hmm. what is the correct process, yep. and if not, you'll see our articles online and talk about what it is. Yep. But, so a good case. I think a, it's a good case also because in terms of the clients that you've helped and the ones that I've uh, worked with on, in this space is that who have been particularly proactive and pro- arguably because, look, you know, we're not that big, but do we go down this pathway of actually creating policies and updating our contracts and do we really need to? And I think it's prudent to. Oh, no, it is, it is prudent to. When you, when you look at our business at the moment, COVID is killing us as businesses. Yeah. Wiped me off five weeks ago. It's wiped off half our team over the last months. We've got Matt away for two weeks because his partner's got it as well. You know, like it's hard. Yeah. It is a very real risk that has to be managed mm. and the better you are at managing risk, the more likely it is that you'll have less litigious risk and better people. Hmm. Okay, so next case is one for those people who tender in government. It's WHS case, Safe Work New South Wales and Landmark. This was the death of an employee who fell six metres, $440,000 fine given, but they tendered for government work and they failed to disclose the safety breach mm-hmm. and the seriousness of the safety breach led Michaela Cash to cancelling their capacity tender for a period of nine months, which is the longest that's ever happened. No real surprise in any of it. Had they actually disclosed it, the likelihood of the length of ban would have been less. But I just want to remind you that in a couple of months' time, it may not be Michaela Cash who's sitting there. It may be someone from the other side of politics and nine months might be 20 months. Yeah. So for major risks prosecutable risk, motorised equipment, falling, Mm -hmm. trenching, Mm -hmm. crane work, okay, all those things. The major prosecutions where the industrial manslaughters have kicked in, where there's reckless endangerments, where there's been high fines, you want to be pretty good at that. Yep. And you need to be good at it now. And when it happens, you need to notify straight away. And we've had two occasions recently with large billion-dollar businesses who have not disclosed because of somebody who was working there. And we've had enormous difficulty in working with the government around what that actually means in relation to labour hire workers because the same types of clauses exist in overseas labour hire contracts. So be aware this is an issue which government, after this election, whoever is in, will be clamping down on. Okay. The final case is one of those cases which is sort of hard to talk about really, isn't it, Karen? We might switch back, Sophie, if we can, to the Employee Misconduct Consensual Relationship uh, heading. So Sparks and the Industrial Relations Secretary is just an odd case. It's about two prison guards, a man and a woman. They engaged in, I think the best way to say it is rough sex. Yeah. He he was a bit rougher than was consented to. to stay accept, with us, people. Stay with us, yeah, stay with us. <laughs> we were trying really to skip over what happened. Yeah. But whatever it was, it was sufficient for her to take the matter to court with the support of the police. Yeah and get orders made against him at the end of the day. He didn't, he didn't want to sentence formally, but there were findings made as to what he did, and he ended up with a particular order. And then the prison fired him. And the prison fired him because they said the nature of, nature of that conduct, that breaching of consent, mm-hmm. 
in the use of force for whatever purpose goes to the very heart of the relationship of a prison guard to inmates. Mm -hmm. And also she worked with him and it was intolerable that they'd both be in the same place. He had done something mm. which made it impossible for them to work together. And that's Rose and Telstra, guys. Remember the three limbs of Rose and Telstra? That's two of the limbs of Rose and Telstra. It's a great decision, by the way. And it's a great decision because although the facts will be entertaining for some and appalling for others, it really looks deeply at the heart of what occurred and the impact it would have and where the person works. And I think what we've got to understand when out-of-work conduct happens, we've got to look at that alignment. Mm. And this was so... It's such a clever thinking to say, and it's right, I should say, that if you're willing to use violence against someone you love beyond that which that person can sense, how could you ever be a guard when you're guarding people, many of whom have done very similar things in similar circumstances? So great decision by the government and the prison in this case. Really interesting that they would challenge it, and the method of challenging was sadly the same male version of sexual assault, which is but we're in a relationship even though I did it, mm. and the enlightened court said that's common with violence in relationships. You know, really enlightened decision and, and a great decision. So I thought we'd bring that to you because I, I think that helps us all about how we deal with out-of-work conduct. It's yep. such an eloquent decision for that. Yeah. Now, so let's talk, Karen, about the federal election. I think yes. on the Liberal side of it, we've got about half a dozen things they've failed to get up this time mm-hmm. through the Senate through their omnibus bill, which is the extension of Greenfields to six years. It's the redefinition of casualisation. Disappointingly, no real work on the boot test, which is the fundamental blocker for flexibility enterprise agreement. Nothing really new, simplification of awards, which yeah, again is... Yeah, seeking to do that. Um, seeking to increase or double fines for in terms of unions behaving badly or breaking the law. So that, that's kind of... that's kind of Well, that's expected. And yeah. We see the other when we come to Labor, if, yes. I, if I can say that it's the punishment of people who don't pay people correctly, yep. the increasing turn. On Labor's side of it, we've got a number of slogans that come in, which is about equal wages. Yeah, it sounds exciting, but we haven't seen the detailed plans in terms of what is it, minimum wage versus living wage. So... Just no detail. And also looking at works where there's a high proportion of women working casually and yes. looking at what they do to protect that. So they're, they're really good slogans at the yeah. moment, but neither you nor I could find anything that actually dealt with it. Quite correctly, they've identified the casualisation of the workforce and gig economy as something that has to be addressed. But again, I couldn't find anything last night when I was scouring through the internet. How'd you go? Yeah, there's also in terms of labour seeking to um, make amendments to the Fair Work Act around including casualised, I mean, in terms of independent contractors. Yeah. yeah, so that, that's quite a big one. That's quite, I think, quite ambitious. don't know how... Yeah, but the problem is none of it addresses the two high court decisions that no, have come it in. No, it doesn't, and that's, but they're, they're just ideas at the moment, Andrew. There's nothing that's... There is no hardline policy statement as such at this point in time. So, to be honest, I'm quite confused looking at it in terms of, well, if you going back to what you said earlier about a lack of leadership, because, well, what is your position on this? And does it address the need of what we need as a nation? Yeah, I think the answer is really simple. I think no one is going to say anything meaningful in industrial relations to the last week when they've got the information that says what is the particular voter sector that they have to hit to get across the line. And then I think we're going to see very deliberate messages to that group of people which won't have any impact on mainland yeah. IR. So I think whatever whoever gets in will see very little change in IR, yep. but we'll see some pretty hot-headed and silly stuff in the last week, uh, promises where, where there's no great intention to execute, mm. which is designed to arouse and move a vote. At the move. And it's, uh, look, there's it's, a pretty disappointing It is election. disappointing and it's frustrating because we do need change. 
Yeah. And as I said, Karen, the, the issue about migration is such a no-go zone at the yeah. moment. And every single employer we have is short of labour. Yeah. Every single sophisticated professional service we deal with is missing highly skilled people to work. Every major leadership role we look at mm. is under-resourced. And there is an answer. There is only one answer to that in a globalised economy, and that is to actually bring people in to do it. And mm. we're putting up all these barriers because it's a um, it's an exciting issue to fight about. So mm. really disappointing on that part of it. But that's where the election is. We'll keep keep you running with the election as we go. And if we do hear anything that is actually going to happen, we'll tell you. I but, think it's unlikely, Andrew. But, but I, yeah. I think this will become a smaller segment each week. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, look, that's our view on it. Yeah. Two major things that need to be looked at is let's get rid of what we've got now and start again. Yeah. And let's talk honestly about migration and employment. Let's be serious about and try and remove roadblocks for it. Mm -hmm. It'd be lovely to see some genuine conversation around that. Maybe the next election. Maybe the one after that. That's on. <laughs> Maybe right. you run, Andrew. I reckon you can lead the country. At my age, I don't run. <laughs> I walk. All right, so let's jump on now to the case study. And we've got a pretty, for those who you avid Dallas watchers, we've actually adopted, I have, sorry. Karen didn't even know who Dallas was. I don't even know what that is. Actually, didn't anyway. even know it was in Texas. Anyway, so over to you, Karen. Cool. All right, thank you. So JR worked at Australian Packaging Enterprises, APE, as a supervisor, which is <laughs> A new Plexo printer stacker had recently been installed at Ape Space Water Factory. It was an updated version of the old stacker but worked at a higher speed, was physically smaller and the hydraulic operating arms were surrounded by guards. Bobby, the OHS manager, had undertaken a risk assessment of the new machine at a time of commissioning and amended the SOP in relation to jamming and other hazards that may arise. When JR started his shift, he was immediately concerned with the SOP on the new machine as it still included legacy descriptors of the old machine and did not replicate the rigours of usual work. He raised it with Bobby who told him to follow the SOP. The following day, the stacker was starting to shudder under the load and a jam seemed imminent. Sue Allen, the plant operator, pressed the emergency stop button and called JR. JR undertook an emergency risk assessment with maintenance and Sue Allen, causing the line to be down for two hours. As a result, the afternoon shift had to work overtime to hit order deadlines for their major client, costing the business 56000 in lost costs. JR decided to undertake a full risk assessment as his review of the SOP revealed it didn't physically relate to the new machine, particularly around the hydraulic arms that sliced and packed where the problems were occurring. The risk assessment markedly changed what was in the SOP, but there was no change in respect of the particular issue they experienced that day. So Bobby's new SOP was correct. The following morning, JR received an email that stated, you are to attend a meeting at 4pm today to show cause why your employment should not be terminated for failing to comply with APE's SOP in a timely manner, causing loss and risk to the company. JR attended a third disciplinary meeting at 4pm with his union rep. He was obviously distressed. Bobby set out the specific issue they were concerned about. The union rep said JR had followed the law, followed the law and should not be punished. Bobby and JR's boss said they would think it over and come back to him tomorrow. The following day, JR attended another meeting with his union rep and was advised he would receive his first and final warning for the safety breach. Okay. All right. Well, we've got our questions. These are slightly different questions to the ones we normally ask. So these are much more technical questions, but I'll explain more when after you've answered them why. 76.2 is the anti-discrimination provision of an employer raising a workplace issue of safety with yep. an employer. Criteria under 387 is a 
ability of someone to be present. It's that list of factors you see in the Fair Work Act that go to decide whether there's a valid reason for doing it, okay? Mm-hmm. So plans for the 40th on Wednesday, besides not coming to work that day? No, I haven't figured it out yet. costing me money? Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm worth it. No, I'm running down the provisions. It's right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just be outdoors, go for a, a nice walk, head down the beach. I don't know, something. But it's a time alone day for me, actually. Well, that's the best present you could ever have, isn't it? Yeah. I must say, each birthday I take time yeah. just to be it's alone. It's nice to do that. Oh, and one thing I'm increasingly doing is um, I'll go and visit my mum and dad because I think it's a celebration. For okay, well, here we go. All right, let's talk this through. So under Section 76 of the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and it's mirrored through all WHS, mm-hmm. uh, the anti-discrimination provisions. And I want you to understand this is not a mere breach of the Act. This is an indictable offence. So this is a crime. And it relates to the role of someone acting as an HSR, purporting to act as an HSR, executing as an HSR, a health and safety representative, and a person raising an issue to an HSR or to their employer, mm-hmm. okay, and then being treated adversely. Now, the important part of this provision is it is a reverse onus. So once it is raised, it is the employer who must show that they haven't acted unreasonably. So in this case, we've got a really interesting problem. Mm. Bobby has failed clearly at the consultation stage. So the obligation when you change a process, particularly a piece of plant, is you must consult, not do a risk assessment, but you must do a consultation which involves a risk assessment with the people who are going to use that machine and have a history of using that thing. So it's an informed process. Mm -hmm. Bobby did it alone. It was wrong. It had a whole lot of things that were bad in it. Mm -hmm. JR identified those things that were wrong with it. He was brought that in the state of emergency by Sue Ellen. Now, whether she was right or wrong, an imminent jamming of the hydraulic arms of a stacker would knock it out for a day, half a day's work. So it was a really important thing that she did. Mm-hmm. And because when he looked at the SOP, he could see it was flawed, he decided they needed to review it thoroughly. His mistake was not to escalate what he was doing and get support for it. That was done, okay? But nonetheless, in safety terms, he's done nothing wrong. When he asked... Previously, Bobby, there's something wrong with this. Bobby said, just follow it. So Bobby had not given him a lawful and reasonable direction. So that was an unlawful direction that he was given by Bobby prior to the incident. And although it turned out that in this one aspect, Bobby was right in his SOP, the process undertaken by JR was the proper process to undertake. Mm -hmm. But because of his obligations of stopping under any occupational health and safety, you can't unilaterally do it unless there's an imminent risk of harm to an individual not the plant. Yeah. Okay, so you can see where the breach is, but that's not why they're punishing him. Okay? So he is being treated adversely for something that is that he raised and for which he should not have been treated adversely. So it is a direct trigger, which is over a $50,000 fine to the individual, mm-hmm. which would be the MD in this case. Yeah. Okay, potentially, and over $250,000 fine for the organisation. And it would be a lay-down misere for those who are cards players for an adverse action because Section 76.2D is a workplace right. Yep. Okay? I put that in today because I think it's really important. We don't see many cases run under this. Yep. We certainly did see Patrick's case seven or eight years ago, $180,000 fine. What we find is the county court, district court type of people really punish this breach because mm-hmm. they think it's terrible to get in the road of someone raising a safety issue. So. Really bad thing to do, and it triggers the very type of thing where Michaela Cash would go, and if you're not going to listen to what someone says and create a safety risk and punish them for it, well, I'm definitely going to suspend you. 
and it was Michaela Cash dressed in red rather than in blue, it plays right to the Labor Party's heartstrings. So raise the day because of the cases what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but also because it's not utilised heavily, but it will be utilised more. Okay, and a member of Section 131 of our OHS Act, and again mirrored throughout WHS, if a person is dissatisfied by the action of a regulator, they can request they undertake a review of it, mm-hmm. which means a union can request a review of it. Yeah. This, if the unions had any brains, I'm going to leave it at that at the moment, if they had any brains, they would be using this process. And I just don't understand why they don't. Because this is heart and soul union attack. Mm. Very hard, reverse onus. Much harder to lose than the other stuff they do. Anyway, that's by the by. I've got that out of the system. If I proceed to terminate JI, would it comply with the criteria of harshness, etc.? Now, remember under 307, there's those things like not prevent someone from the opportunity of being present person present as a support person. It's providing procedural fairness and the manner in which you put things to people, it's the presence or absence of an HR person, all that sort of stuff. You notice in this case, it might be brilliant, mm. but it's there, isn't it? Yeah. It's there. The, the fundamentals of what you're required to do under the Fair Work Act. So you've definitely got a valid reason, okay, and we've got a valid reason for the reason we talked about, not for what they did. And the valid reason is he stopped the line without the consent of management in this circumstance, which is not recognised by law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a valid reason. Yeah. Would it be harsh? Well, we don't know his personal circumstances, so we don't know whether he's been an employee of 20 years, don't know any of that sort of stuff. But I, if that was the reason given for it, it's a pretty serious reason and it would be worthy of termination, okay? So probably not harsh, probably not unreasonable. The issue is here definitely not just. Mm. Just is based on the evidence, is it factually correct? And based on the reason they went to terminate, wrong, okay? So it would not be just. So to be valid, not harsh, not unreasonable, but it wouldn't be just. But imagine if it was just, which is really question three. So everything's been done. Could they still bring a workers' comp claim? Well, <laughs> we saw Larry and the Secretary of Department of Communities and Justice, which was a decision which I'll cease kicking after we finish this today. But what I want to be very clear about is, again, in this case, not a lot of particularity was given prior to entering the meeting, nor is it required as a matter of law that you do that. Mm-hmm. But I guess what Karen and I are both trying to say, because we both experience it every day, is that's not workers' comp world. Now, if you stay close to your insurer and you work closely with them, there's a higher chance you get this across the line. But a circumstance investigator will still come along and say, look at this problem, they failed to do this, who has no knowledge of workplace law. Yep. And the insurer in Victoria, the regulator itself, will make a decision and say, oh, well, the circumstance investigator says it, was un- I, you know, it wasn't lawful, there was a better way they could have done it, yep. and the claim's been accepted. I think in this, this case, Andrew, it's a good example of how this issue actually touches across all areas of your business in terms of operationally, people management, risk management, but also the safety part of it as well. And my, you know, yeah, we caught up earlier talking about this, but so if it's, it's fragmented in that way, how do we own that? How do we manage that better? Because you've got silos working. What could a business possibly do? And I think it does require that leadership and it does require a high level, level intervention and investment to really understand broadly where are our problems? So, yeah, so we yeah. can understand what we need to do. How, how many dark times do you drive your car and you can feel a bit of a rumble in the left wheel? Mm. And you go, oh, I won't go to the service station. Or I won't go and see the mechanic and 
the wheel blows or fails. Yeah. Bobby is like that bumpy wheel. Yeah. Everyone will be telling you they've got problems, but if your systems aren't clear in capturing it, and if you're not intervening, you're going to end up with a problem like this, which is a disaster. So exactly. build in systems, build in reviews, and, and when you see something not work, jump in quickly. Exactly. But that's it for us. We're going to come back with the latest on the election next week, which will be the <laughs> same as this week. <laughs> and lovely to be back. I'd love to see Karen. So yeah, you too. See you later. See you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.